I've been looking forward to John chapter 14. I've been looking forward to this, uh, this, this day, the, the combined service together, doing all of the things that we as a church would do, um, gathering together in worship around the Lord's table, remembering his redemption, gathering together around his word and his promise being strengthened by what our Lord has said to us in the same ways that he, he gathered his own around the table in that room that night and spoke actually these words to them. And, and then declaring our faith in Christ in baptism and then from there sending out not only into our community but out into the world, around the world, someone from here to take that message of Jesus and his salvation to people far away that don't have the same opportunity to hear. It's a, it's a, this is what the church is supposed to be about, and this is what our Lord gives us in John 14. And yet, in the midst of that promise, like in a Jewish wedding, in the midst of that promise of his coming, imagine you're one of the disciples, one of the 11 remaining in that upper room after Judas has gone out. And it's becoming clear he's going to be, Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He seems fine with that, but you don't understand it. Whatever happened to all the promise and hope of Messiah? Whatever happened to all the things that you've ex been expecting God to do to take all of this that's wrong and make it right? Why will the world be allowed to persist even as it will? Why will the Romans continue to, to rule and unrighteousness continue to reign? Why will power continue to be twisted and perverted into oppression? Why does God allow this? We, we saw it again this week. In fact, it, it, it happened just that fast yesterday twice across our country. These, these, these crazed shooter episodes and many are struck down innocently helplessly and people ask Lord how long will you allow this how long will this continue why don't you step in why don't you do something when will you take what's wrong and make it right and John 14 speaks into the midst of those those kind of questions those kind of wondering where we if we dared would say God what are you doing? Why aren't you doing? Why don't you finish your plan as, you've, as, you, as you said that you would? Why does this continue? Is God really there? Well, as we turn to John 14, and we will find answers there, we'll find what it is that, that Jesus is telling his disciples about his going away and what they're then supposed to make of this, what they're supposed to do with this what we're supposed to make of it, what we're supposed to do with it. But there's comfort here. There is peace here in a world that is without peace. There is peace in this chapter. And there's families across the country in very desperate hurt this morning. But there's families, even in our own community, there's families in our own church body that are in, in desperate hurt this morning because of things that should not be, because of troubles that they have prayed would not come. And yet we are broken people in a broken world. So as we 
come to the word this morning, let's, let's pause and pray. Father, would you speak to us? Lord, in this passage, you promise peace. And you promise it not as the world gives. Lord, we need your peace. We long for it. Father, we look out across creation and we see the need of it, even in natural events, a creation that is broken because of the curse of sin. We see it in our own society. Lord, there's all kinds of solutions that are offered. If only we did this or that or, or made this rule or did this thing, but Lord, only you can change the human heart. Only you can give wholeness and peace in the midst of brokenness, and only you can give, Lord, uh, righteousness where there is evil. Father, would you do your work? Would you do your work of making peace and bringing peace? Lord, would you do that even in us and through us? And so, speak to us out of your word this morning, Lord, that we would have your peace, a trust and confidence in you, that we, in fact, could go into this world in your peace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 14, a common benediction that I use, I've used for 14 years now here at the church, begins with that line, go into the world in peace. And as, as I've been studying John chapter 14, I said, you know, that fits here. It fits well on an anniversary Sunday when we're reminding ourselves of who we are, what we're about and that we, in fact, can and must go into the world in peace. 156 years ago, this church was formed by a, 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 a family and friends group that left Indiana and headed first to Oregon, and then as things got a little crowded in Oregon, and finally when Southwest Washington opened up again, because it had basically been closed off for American settling, when the opportunity opened again, they came across the river, and they did this for the purpose of extending the church. They had grown up in this. This was a family heritage. The Clark brothers' father moved from one place to another about every seven or eight years. They moved the family in Indiana a little further out into, into frontier territory in order that new churches would be started in these new communities as, as more of the population began to move west. And so the brothers took that. One brother went to Texas. These two brothers came out first to Oregon and planted what was, what was known later as Halsey Baptist Church. And then when the opportunity came, they sold those stakes. They moved across the river, and they took up claims here in southwest Washington 156 years ago, and here we are today. They got together. They put their crops in the field. They, they, they put some cabins together, and they formed a church. They wanted to live here because the church needed to be here. And so we continue to live here as God's church. And what are we to be about in that? While we wait for the Lord's return, while we wait for that glorious wedding ceremony in heaven that will come, that Jesus will come, and, and as the groom in a Jewish wedding goes to the bride's house and receives his bride, and then the procession returns back to the father of the groom's home. And the, and the celebrating continues there. While we wait for that, what are we be, to be doing? What do we be about? How will we continue? Because Jesus' words to his disciples in John chapter 14 start this way. 
let not your hearts be troubled because they were. He's going away. They're not getting it yet. They're not sure where he's going. They're understanding he's not going to continue with them. And what are they supposed to do? What they expected him to do and bring in concerning the kingdom is apparently being delayed. They don't know how long. Why would their hearts not be troubled? What is happening? And yet when you don't understand what God is doing, that's when we return to his word because these are words not only of comfort, these are words of insight. These are words that tell us what God is doing and then what we are to be doing. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to, would I, I would, sorry, I mixed two translations, one from memory, one in front of me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. One of the things that could keep them, one of the things that could strengthen them, if they could just get a glimpse of God, it's kind of like Moses in the wilderness. When he, when he doesn't know how, he's going to have the strength to lead this people. And he says, Lord, show me your glory. That's Thomas's plea here, or Philip's plea here. Show us the Father and that will strengthen us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the count of the works themselves." first thing Jesus is telling his disciples is know whom you have believed. Know whom you believe. You need to know who I am. You need to know the Father because knowing the Father and being able to have your confidence and trust in him when it doesn't look like things are going as you expected them to go, you need to know, first of all, who God is. Because if you know who God is, if you know God's heart, you can trust what he's doing because you know your father loves you. You know the, your father has your best in mind. You know what his purpose is. And even if the details don't make sense in the moment, I can trust him because I know him. You've had that happen with a close friend. Perhaps you've had that happen within your marriage. In your marriage, come on. Wives, so there are times when you have no idea what makes this man do some of the things he does, right? Yeah? And yet, you know him. You know him. And because you know him, you can trust him even when you don't understand what he's up to. Well, if that works in marriage, if that works with a good friend, if that works with somebody you've worked with for years and you know you can trust him even when this doesn't make sense, Know whom you have believed. 
Verses 1 to 3, Jesus has not abandoned us, which means God has not abandoned us. Jesus is preparing a place. He's completing the Father's work, in fact, of bringing us into his family. This is that Jewish wedding procession. I go, the groom, after the engagement has been formalized with agreement between the two families. Then the groom gets busy preparing a place on the family property that he can bring his, he needs a suitable place. Kind of like some of those birds, I think it's the, I think it's the weaver bird, actually crafts a very elaborate nest and the bride will come and take a look. And if his mate doesn't like the nest, he's going to take it all apart and start over again. I don't know how that worked out in the Jewish scenario, but, but in, in that culture, the groom would work at preparing a suitable home for his bride now. It might be adding rooms onto the family home. It might be building another structure within the family properties, but a place for his bride. And then when the place is prepared, and the date was never quite known by the bride. Imagine that. We set the date. We send the invitations. Everybody gets ready. No, no, no. She's ready all the time because she doesn't know. She's got a general idea, and she's probably been watching him and and probably can figure it out pretty close. But the day, the hour, no, they don't know. They don't know. The father says, it's ready. Go and get her. He summons the other guests. And the groom with his groomsmen, there's this happy procession through the town to the bride's house. And they come outside her home. They call her out of her home to join the groom, even as Christ will with us in the rapture. He will not come all the way to the earth, but, but the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And forever with the Lord we will be. We'll head back to heaven with him. We'll return with him in his second coming to the earth. Wherever he goes, forever with the Lord we will be. That's the hope that is set before us. He's preparing a place, this Father's work of bringing us into his family. The place that Jesus has prepared for us is with him by identifying us with him, by joining himself to us. Sometimes you might ask yourself the question, what makes you think that you belong in heaven? Do you ever ask yourself that in the midst of despair, in the midst of a dark moment, in the midst of whatever you have caught yourself up in again? What makes you think the enemy whispers in your ear that you belong in God's perfect heaven? Well, you can answer the question, does Jesus belong in God's perfect heaven? Jesus belongs in God's perfect heaven, and I belong with him because he chose me. I may not have a claim there, but he does, and I belong with him. We are in him, already seated in the heavenlies. It's only through Jesus, then, that anyone belongs in heaven I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is a way, there is a truth, and there is life. And it's all in Jesus. And a society that has forgotten God, a society that is desperately trying to shake loose any memory from God so that they can be free to go their own way, denies those three things. They deny there's a way for humanity to God. They deny that there, that, um, There is absolute truth at all. They deny that there's any life beyond this physical existence. But Jesus says, I am. I am the way. 
No one comes to the Father but through him. He is our, 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 our means of restored relationship to God. What was ruined in the garden is restored in Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. God's truth is in him. He is the life. He is our eternal life. And he lives that life in us. I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about that as we go. Not only that, but they said, okay, well, show us the Father. And Jesus says, the one who's seen me has seen the Father. There's some interesting statements here. We have some strange notions about God. And, and the reason this is important is, is because what you think about God will determine your trust in him. Do I think God is a God I can trust myself to? And we have these weird notions about an Old Testament God who's kind of angry versus a New Testament God in Jesus who is kind and forgiving. So are we going to choose Old Testament God or New Testament Jesus? And yet Jesus says, the one who's seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Yes, God is a God of judgment. Yes, Jesus is the God who, who went into the temple and upturned the tables and, and drove people out with a whip because he said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. You're getting in the way of those who would want to come to God. Oh yeah, he can get angry. But our God is a loving God. Our God is a merciful God. Our God is a God who would empty himself as a servant for us. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. That's why we're in this book. John 1.18, the prologue said, No one's seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. Now there is an implication here. If Jesus' words and actions show God, as we go a little further here, that would suggest that, that our words and our actions also can reveal God to the people around us. Hang on to that thought just a minute. Jesus says, haven't you heard my words? Haven't you seen what I do? These are the things that show the Father. And if it's true for him, in some way it's true for us. Do you think that's a bit of a stress, a stretch? Wait a minute, you say, I'm not Jesus. That's true about Jesus, but wait, wait I'm not Jesus. Okay, look at verse 12. Fasten your seatbelt first, then look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, this is whoever, this is not just these 11 special disciples there in that upper room. This is whoever believes in Jesus who's in this room. What I'm about to read is true for you. Whoever believes in me, and he says, truly, truly, amen and amen, don't miss it. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Do you believe that? I believe he's going to the Father. Do you believe that you will do greater works than Jesus? Oh, wait a minute. Not sure what you mean by that. Ever healed a blind person? Ever called somebody back up out of the, out of the cemetery? We could take a walk over to Brush Prairie over, across the street over here. We give that a go. What is he saying here? Greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus' ministry of revealing God. Jesus' work has been to show the Father. To show the Father to extend his plan of redemption to humanity. 
And Jesus did that in a corner of the world called Judea and Galilee. He never got outside those boundaries, in fact. He never got farther than Judea and Galilee, except for at least one side trip up to Tyre and Sidon. Other than that, he was pretty limited right there. And what happened immediately in the book of Acts is this message began to spread. And they began to go here and there and there and there. In fact, he told them. He, st- he, he gathered them probably on a high mountain just above the, above the Sea of Galilee where you can look over the Sea of Galilee. You can see the international crossroads. You can follow the international highway from that viewpoint out towards the Mediterranean. And there he says, go into all the world. Something Jesus himself never did. You see, Jesus began that work of telling the world of his redemption. He began that work right there in Israel, and he handed it over to those like you and I. Disciples weren't special and thus super saints because of it. He said, whoever believes is going to enter into this greater, these works that I do and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Because he's going to the Father, because he's going to the Father by way of the cross, because by way of the cross our sins are going to be removed, and in our sins being removed, we are now going to be in such full and right fellowship with God that the Spirit of the living God actually comes and lives with us. That's how close we are. There is nothing between we and our God that he takes his dwelling now with us. Think of it. In that sense, as close as Jesus in his humanity was with the Father by the Spirit, so you and I can be. The same Spirit now indwells us. Jesus said that Spirit who who is with you and he will be in you. Why is it that Jesus must go away so the Spirit can come? Because our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from the Spirit. But when Jesus dies for you and for me, That sin is removed out of the way. That sin is forever dealt with. And the Spirit himself dwells fully within us. And he will do the Father's work in us just as he does it through Jesus. Even as as God sent his Son into the world in peace. Remember the announcement of the angels? Peace to men. On earth. Good news of great joy unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. This is news of peace to men on earth. God sent his Son into the world for our peace with him. And he sends us to continue that peace. We just don't continue on in our own stuff while we wait. We don't, we don't carry on with Peter and his bros saying, well, let's go fishing. We'll occupy ourselves somehow until Jesus comes back. No, no, no. We are now sent by him to do his work, to continue his work, in fact, to extend his work farther than Jesus ever himself did. That doesn't diminish Jesus' work at all in terms of proclaiming God and making his Father known. He's the one that started it and opened it up to us. And yet he has shared 
that wonderful work of making God known in this world, Jesus has given that to you and to I. And do not ever undervalue that. Don't underappreciate that. That is why he leaves us here in the midst of a broken world that needs him so desperately. And it's easy to see. You look around and where can there be any peace? And it's in him. These greater works that he does, look at verse 15 to 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. He will be in you. These works are continuing his Father's will. Even as Jesus did, what are the things that Jesus did? We focus on the miracles, but everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, this was the will of his Father. He said he didn't speak without speaking for the Father. The things that he did, these were the things that the Father was doing. He looked at what the Father was doing, and he did the things the Father was doing. He walked in his Father's will. And that's, brothers and sisters, what he gives us to do. He invites us then to join in the doing of his Father's will. You say, well, how can I do that? Just by following the Spirit. Just by yielding the Spirit. I'll give you a helper. I will give you an advocate. I will give you one who comes alongside the Spirit of truth. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, verse 18. I'm going to come to you. A little while and the world will see you no more, but you'll see me because I live, you will live. You will know that I'm in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Earlier he said, you will know that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And now he says, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He has joined us into this relationship with God. That's what's going on here. God has joined us into this relationship that he has with the Father in order to live in the world the life of God, which we would describe as the life of Christ in us. His life continues to be lived in the life of his church, which is called his body. We go into the world in peace. We, we, we think about it this way. We join in God's grand new beginning. The disciples are thinking there at the opening of John 14, the disciples are thinking that it's all coming crashing down to an end. It's all unraveling on them. You hear it in the words on the road to Damascus after his death before they realize he has been resurrected. And they're saying, we thought he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And yet, we thought he was going to restore Israel. We thought he was going to bring in the kingdom. We thought he was the Messiah. And yet, it's over. Or so they thought. And yet, it wasn't over at all. This is just... This is not the end. This is God's grand new beginning. This is now what God is going to continue to be doing in the world. And he says, as I began through my son, I'm going to continue through my children. I'm going to continue through you. We are the ones to go into the world in his peace, to go into the world with his peace doing his greater works, following in his Father's will by the Spirit. You see, we're not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Remember Ephesians chapter 2? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are 
his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has before ordained God's will that we should walk in them. Paul is echoing Jesus here. That we, by the Spirit who now indwells us, we are going to walk in and live out the Father's will. And as we walk in and live out the Father's will in our lives, it might make us different, it might make us peculiar, but it will show the likeness of our God and of our Savior to a world around that desperately needs to see something real. In the midst of a reality show culture, they need to see something that is genuine, something is real. What forgiveness and mercy and redemption and restoration actually look like in real human life. That's what they need to see. And they can see it in you and I. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Why? Just so that we'll get along better with one another? It's one of the ways we'll keep peace in the church? No, that's one of the ways we'll show our Father's likeness to the people around us. Forgive one another even as he forgives, as he forgave us. We continue our participation with Jesus. Let me get a little more practical now. This whole following God by the Spirit, that's a little ambiguous. Well, what is the Spirit going to tell me to do? Well, let's dig in a little bit. Verse 25 says, I know you decide, you're not going to get it. I know. Let me help. Verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm here still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How do you walk in God's will? By keeping what Jesus commanded. First of all, the Holy Spirit reminded of all the things that Jesus has said. If I may, they are written in four Gospels. Not everything Jesus said, but what the church needed to keep. What the church needed to know. What the church needed to continue walking in in order to show our Father to the world around us the Spirit guarded and kept. And through those disciples gave us these four Gospels. But not only that, he will teach you all things, not just remembering the things Jesus explicitly said, but he would continue to teach from them. Can I introduce you to the letters in the New Testament? Can I introduce you to the book of Acts and the epistles, the letters, the book of Revelation, those things that the Spirit would continue to teach based on what Jesus said? The Spirit would continue to teach his church, and we still stand in that same history, sharing the same table, sharing the same truth, walking in the same life of Christ for God's glory and for his working of his salvation to the people around us. We go into the world in his peace, living out this life of Christ for his glory so that others could know something about Jesus as well. Finally, he says in verse 27, then, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We live in a hostile environment. It's easy to be afraid. You get beat up a little bit. Now let's back up. Let's remember where John is writing. John is writing in, in, the, in the mid-80s to 90s in the first century. Toward the end of the first century, there's an emperor named Diocletian on the throne, and he doesn't like Christians. 
One of the reasons he doesn't like Christians is he very much likes himself. In fact, he's one of the first emperors that demanded that others worship him as Lord and God. Well, you can imagine not only the Jewish people, but the Christian had a real problem with that. They were not able to do that. They were not able to submit to the emperor, and emperors don't like it when people don't do what they say. That was the persecution that the church was under at the time of John's writing. Well, they would be troubled. They could easily be discouraged. Here they are in the midst of this persecution, waiting for their Lord to return, and he has not yet. And yet he leaves them with his peace, not as the world gives, give I to you. You heard me say, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. The Father is greater than all. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you will believe. I'll no longer talk much with you. The rule of this world is coming and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus is walking in his Father's will even into death. Rather than establishing his kingdom, laying his life down, because that is the Father's will, and we, he gives the church the time to do the same. Last thing that happens in this chapter, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. The enemy is coming. He doesn't have any claim on me, but he's coming. And the first place Judas is going to bring the soldiers to is this house where he left them. So they're going to go from there. They're going to head out to the garden. They're going to buy a little more time. Jesus has more things to tell his disciples. He still intends to pray for his disciples and for us. He, has, he, he, he intends to talk with them more, to pray for them more, to encourage them more. There's more to do before Satan's hour. And so he's going to buy a little more time. There's still more for us to do, even in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of others. We do that in his peace. He says, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives. What does that look like? What does that refer to? There's a, there's a verse in Jeremiah that I think describes the world's peace. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And there's going to be fine. Don't worry. Trust us. Yeah, Babylon is surrounding Jerusalem, but don't worry. God is not going to allow Babylon to take his temple. No, no, you can trust us. We have got this. The king's in control. He's going to do something. Actually, he's going to tunnel under the wall and try to run away to Jericho, and it doesn't work. Peace, peace when there is no peace. Just trust us. We will keep you safe, the government says. And yet they can't. There is no peace. We look for our peace in finances. We look for our peace in the acceptance of others, not rocking the boat. We look for our peace even from our own government. Surely they can protect us. Surely they can take care of us. And then horrible things happen because there is no peace. And yet he gives a peace that transcends this world. He gives a peace that transcends this human experience. He gives a peace that transcends anything that can happen within this mortal body. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're fearing. Finances will run out. There's the encouraging word of the day. Are you saving? You don't have enough. Okay? Are you taking good care of your health? You're exercising, you're eating right? That's wonderful. It will not help. Well, it might help, but it will not keep you. Okay? If the Lord delays, you and I will die. 
This body will war, wear out, and sometimes it's not a pleasant process along the way, but we have a hope and a confidence and assurance from God that transcends. I still remember the man years ago, an elder in the church, used to say this all the time. It's stuck in my head. He says, we have a hope in Christ that goes beyond the grave. It is eternal in the heavens. It goes past this life. It goes past riches. It goes past fancy clothes. It'll be eaten by a moth. It reaches into eternity, and he has secured us for that. Our confidence is in God, who has an inheritance kept for us in glory by the power of God for us who are kept by God as well. He keeps us for himself forever. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're fearing. And there's plenty to be troubled by. And yet we go into this world, even in the midst of its troubles, we go into this world in his peace. And he demonstrated that first. He's not just saying something that's philosophical. You go ahead. You trust me. You be at peace even if it kills you. Because it killed him first to bring us this peace. Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about. The time seems short. We're going to buy a little time if we can. And you know kind of what that's like. You know kind of what that's like. You want a little more time with this person or that person. You want a little more time when there's an illness in the family. Think of somebody that you want a little more time with. Jesus wanted, although his hour had come, he said, rise, let us go from here. We're going to take a walk. We're going to go out to the garden. Judas is going to do this thing, but we're not going to make it easy for him to find us because I've got a little more to say to you. I've got a little more to pray for you. I've got a little more encouragement. Who do you know that you want to have a little more to talk with? That you want to encourage just a little more? You wonder, why am I still here? Who do you have that you want a little more time to pray for? That's what Jesus used those final minutes for. To talk with his own, to help them believe to encourage them in their hope in God and to pray for them that God would keep him, keep them. And you and I can do the same thing with whatever time we've got less. That's how we'll live in. That's how we'll give out to others his peace. Peace I give to you. And we've got a peace in God and a confidence in him that we can give to the people around us. In a few minutes, we're going to officially send one of our own. And we're going to do that with words that you hear every day, and I think that's very appropriate. Go into the world in peace. As she goes around the world, someplace far away, and as we go into the world, someplace maybe much closer to home, and yet we have the same mission in either one of those places to live in, to walk in the Father's will toward the people around us that they might know him and the salvation that is only in Jesus. Can't do that except by God's Spirit 
living God's life, the life of Christ in us for his glory. You see what he has invited us into? This God has taken what he began in Jesus and he has started something, a brand, a grand new beginning in the church that will carry on into the kingdom and forever. And he said, I'm going to do it with you. I said, I'm going I'm I'm to do it with Bob. Can you imagine? Some of you know me a little better and that stuns you. That God would even use Bob and think if, 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 if he can use Bob... What might he do with you? What might he do with the life of Christ in you? It'll be to go into the world. It'll be to go to others with his peace, telling them, encouraging them, praying for them. Let's do that. Father, we're we're overwhelmed in, in what it is that you call us into. Lord, what you give us to do is beyond us for sure. Father, the circumstances of it and the the hostility of the environment, this is not what we would ask for. Except we can embrace this. That this is what you have chosen to do in, in allowing us to walk right alongside Jesus. Who walked in your will. Who spoke words for you in the midst of a hostile environment where some believed and many did not, where some gathered around him and were grateful for what he showed them and what he did for them, and many were not. Many rejected him and persecuted him, even unto death. Father, would you give us the courage then to walk where you call us, to follow your will even when it costs us something, to trust you far more than anything else and to find our peace then with you rather than in anything that our society, our culture, our world would offer. Father, most of all, would you take this peace of God that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ, a peace from God which passes all understanding, a peace with God, Father, would you take this peace that you've given us and through us, would you extend it to people around us? Father, right now we think of some that need your peace. Father, would you, would you use us, even as this chapter says that you will, to go into their world with your peace? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.